0: Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome to the first podcast of 2024. My name is Peter Renton, Chairman and Co-Founder of Fintech Nexus. I hope you all had a restful holiday break. We have some fantastic guests planned for you this year. I'm really excited to bring these interviews to you, and we are kicking it off with one of my favorite topics, embedded finance. Before we get started, I want to remind you that Fintech Nexus is now a digital media company. We have sold our events business and are 100% focused on being the leading digital media company for FinTech. What does this mean for you? You can now engage with one of the largest FinTech communities, over 200,000 people through a variety of digital products, webinars, in-depth white papers, podcasts, email blasts, advertising and much more. We can create a custom program designed just for you. If you want to reach a senior fintech audience, then please contact sales at fintechnexus.com today. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Tom Bell. He is the CEO and co-founder of MAST, that's M A A S T. And I wanted to get Tom on the show because Master is one of the new breed of embedded finance companies. Uh, they're going to be really bringing financial services to software companies. And we talk about exactly how they do that, what their approach is. We talk about sort of what they're focused on as, as far as different uh, types of verticals. We talk about why embedded finance is a, is a perfect match for software providers. We talk about what it's like to integrate um, MAST into an existing operation. Obviously, we talk about the different types of financial products that MAST offers. Uh, We talk about the competitive landscape, compliance, and trends for 2024, and much more. It was a fascinating discussion. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Tom. Glad
1: to be here. Thank you.
0: Let's get started by giving the listeners uh, a little bit of background about yourself. And why don't you just hit on some of the the high points of your career to date?
1: I started my career and was uh, a partner at Accenture for more years than I want to admit. So (laughs) we'll probably move past that quickly. But I've always been in the software and high-tech space and kind of transitioned into uh, payments and financial services as part of KKR's buyout of First Data back in uh, 2007, I think it was. And since then have been involved in the FinTech and and payment space with First Data, Bank of America Merchant Services, Merchandise Solutions, and a few other stops along the way. That ultimately led me to Synovus and running the payments business here as well as our now in-house startup, Nest.
0: So was the idea when you came to Synovus to do this startup as well? Or was it really just, it was the payments, the third-party payments role that you that you were most interested in? Tell us a bit about why you came to Cenovis.
1: Yeah, I think it was, the answer was both. You know, I was originally asked to come help bring the merchant business in-house. But through that conversation, through that you know, relationship with the executive team here, it was always, but there must be something more. There must be something more that Cenovis can do to really be a meaningful player in the fintech space because if you think about Synovus as a sponsor bank, Synovus as the proud parents of TESIS, and you know a you know multi-decade player in the fintech space I think there was always this belief that we could create more value, we could maximize the value of Synovus so we started down that path. We started down the path of how is it that we could leverage the assets of Synovus to really kind of change the game when it comes to finance and embedded finance, specifically.
0: Interesting, interesting. So this really, from the get-go was sort of, it's been an embedded finance place. So maybe then tell us a little bit about sort of the genesis of MAST and how how that all came together.
1: So we started really studying the problem, as I like to say, thinking about what are the assets that Synovus has, what are the needs in the marketplace, as well as what are the trends in the marketplace? And what we quickly, came to realize that just like with embedded payments, financial services are going to become more and more embedded. Financial services are going to be sold through distribution channels. Financial services are going to become an integrated, you know, seamless user experience you know, within software platforms. If you think about small businesses today, probably greater than 50% of small businesses in the United States today use some form of integrated software to run their business. Mm -hmm. So it's logical that financial services would be an extension of that. Uh, We did some work, uh, voice of the customer, some primary research. And out of that, it became very evident that this is where the industry was going. And then there was a real greenfield opportunity for someone like Synovus to take advantage of that. So in um, January of 22, we formally launched Mast under the brand of Mast with the objective of building out a line of business, building out a business, if you will, to go capture that opportunity.
0: So why do a new brand uh, that no one has heard of versus doing this on a Sonovus, which everybody has heard of, um, what was the thinking there?
1: The thinking was that being that this was net new, being that this was a service line an offering that really didn't exist in the marketplace that we felt that creating some differentiation from synovus while still being connected to synovus was the best way to go and as, as well as synovus is a five state regional bank and our appeal and our market and our go to market strategy is nationwide so we felt that you know we could create a we had a new brand you know with you know some some fun with it you know the money as a service plus uh, meaning of our brand to really kind of create some interest in terms of what we were doing. Right, right.
0: So that's where MAS comes from, M-A-A-S with a plus sign, which is actually a T. So.
1: Right, money as a service plus.
0: Got it, got it. And so just to be clear, is this is this a wholly owned subsidiary of Synovus or you have other investors?
1: No, it's a wholly owned subsidiary of Synovus. We are set up with our own leadership team, our own technology stack, our own go to market strategy, our own pricing, all of those things are unique to mast. So it is a in-house startup is probably the best way to think about it. We brought in a number of different uh, industry professionals as well as moved some high performing people across from Synovus so that we now have a you know a team that really brings the best of the fintech world and the best of a regulated bank if you will. Right.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. And are you still doing your your old job, or is this are you one hundred percent dedicated on Mast?
1: I am still doing my old job as well, running Sonova's Merchant Services. Some might argue not well, but you know, <laughs> I still do have responsibility for that.
0: Right. Maybe you could describe the suite of offerings that Mast provides.
1: So, at its core, and this was our original premise, and is and is proven to be you know very true in the marketplace, is that we believe that creating a unified underwriting and onboarding experience would be very powerful for merchants and customers of an ISV. So if you think about a software provider that is serving, um, let's just say uh, music stores, right? Because that is actually our pilot customer. Uh, He had developed a uh, piece of software that serves brick and mortar uh, music as well as lessons, as well as repairs, as well as rentals, et cetera kind of one integrated piece of software well by doing that basically he as he goes out and markets his software to the end customer to the merchant that merchant's able to go through a unified underwriting experience and when approved they immediately get a merchant account as well as a business checking account and yeah business checking account that's not a new concept but the integration of the two when it comes to faster funding cash flow management the ability to really see the full picture of their financial situation on the platform that they're using to run their operations is really where the power comes in. So our first use case was that, an integrated payments and um, business checking. We'll be moving into other products, lending, uh, et cetera. It's going to be high-yield savings. These are all things that are on our roadmap, so that that, those financial services that are now available to that merchant just continue to grow. And since they've already been underwritten, the activation, if you will, or the adoption of those new products will be fairly straightforward. What we've also found is, though, is that there are larger partners, ISVs, SaaS platforms, that may have a very mature payments product. They may already be a payfag, for example. Mm -hmm. And what we found is that there is also a market for us to bring just the financial services part of it, not the payment side, but just the financial services part of it, and that's what we're working on now is that second use case, to where as an ISV as a SaaS platform, you'll be able to resell just banking without the payments on your platform.
0: Right. So then, so you're, you're a SaaS platform, and you want to have your own your own kind of branded bank account. I presume then the the Oswald bank account is held at Synovus, right?
1: It is ultimately held at Synovus, Exactly. All of this all, all of this is reflected on Sonovus's balance sheet. And you mentioned something earlier, Peter, I think is really important, is a branded bank account, a branded banking experience, which is what we also offer. It's up to the partner to decide whether or not they would like to brand it Mast or brand it to their software platform or create some third brand, which is mm-hmm. one of our what our partners did. They actually created a third brand to like sit on top of all of their software properties.
0: Interesting. So then well, what is the target market exactly? And maybe like, who are you working with right now?
1: One is a uh, an ISV that has created a vertically unique piece of software for the music industry. And so what's unique about it is is that they've incorporated much more than just the brick and mortar retail. They've incorporated rental leasing, if you will, repairs, those types of things. All the things that kind of go into what really happens in one of these music stores, lessons, et cetera. The other one, is, which is uh, one that we're boarding as we speak, is a an erp solution it's an erp solution that focuses a lot on wholesale distribution uh, lumber and building products and things like that and so basically we will be their payments and banking provider and that's that integration is underway right now and and we hope to be going live with our first pilot merchants within uh the next couple of weeks with them so being that you know it's interesting that actually is a horizontal solution right because they serve various different industries, although they do have some niches where they're, they're most strong. So there is that piece of it. We have a uh, company that pr- does uh, software for gyms. So if you think about CrossFit gyms and other types of things, they basically have the software for that business owner to run their gym. And we've now added banking and payments to that solution so they can now resell it. Before they were uh, not participating in the payment stream. The, you know, the gym was getting payments somewhere else. We've now brought that to the table so they can get it through the software.
0: Okay, that makes sense. So you wrote a guest post on our on our website earlier this year that I'll, I'll link to in the show notes. But were you talking about that you know, like software providers are a perfect match for embedded finance? And you've just sort of touched on it like, you know, already, but I'd love to sort of tease that out a little bit more and what uh just describe exactly what you mean
1: there you know it's interesting if you think about how software is continuing to evolve in support of businesses right it used to be um you know everything was typically very horizontal in terms of those business platforms but now they're very vertical they're very specialized and it becomes really the operating system right and i don't mean operating system like linux i mean operating system of what they use to run their business cool. right And so that's that portal, that screen, that laptop is where that merchant goes to many, many times a day, probably spends most of their waking moments in that portal running their business, whether it's scheduling, ordering, taking orders, payments, paying employees, all of those different things that's happening through that platform, right? Well, to me, it's just, to us, it was just a logical extension that there's this whole other part of them running their business, which is the financial, right? the financial end in terms of managing their money, paying their vendors, accounting, all these other different things that needs to come together so that that portal is now incredibly more valuable. That portal is much deeper, that ISV software is much deeper, it's much wider. And so it becomes obvious that you know that ISV, that SaaS platform, they can bring you know, exponential more value-added services to the equation. So that that small business owner, when they're sitting around their kitchen table at 11 o'clock at night, because they've been in the store all day, right? When they're sitting around the kitchen table at 11 o'clock at night, they've got a very seamless, unified customer experience so that they can manage their business, but not spend all night doing. Right, right.
0: There's been so much change happening in the payment space in the last five years. Embedded finance began in the payment space, and particularly... If in the last decade, with the likes of you know Uber and that sort of thing, just sort of having payments kind of be part of the platform, from your perch as sort of you've been in the payment space for a long time now, what um, what's the state of play in payments? How are uh, you know what what do you think are the interesting innovations that are happening today?
1: Yeah, I think it starts you know, kind of at, at the base level and then kind of goes up. So, I think we'll forever see payments providers continuing to innovate on making their product seamless, making their product transparent, zero friction, all these different things that are, you know, that are important today, and they're going to continue to be important. There's going to continue to be advancements in terms of now applying machine learning and AI to other things, because if you think about the underwriting experience today, right, you know, to a certain extent, a lot of it is done the way it's always been done, right? And I think there's now opportunities for payments providers and their partner ISVs to take advantage of some new tools like AI and machine learning to really advance that underwriting and boarding process, where there might be companies that using old methods appeared to be too risky but using new methods you can now suss it out and realize that this is actually an acceptable risk. So I think there's that piece which is table stakes, right? Cuz that's that's kind of what happens all that's been happening in payments, you know, since the beginning. I think the next piece of it is the user experience itself, right? Mm-hmm. There's so many ways that payments can be part of the experience in a very positive way, and I think you're continuing to see that both on you know on the mobile experience as well as the online experience to where payments just become more and more part of the value proposition. And I think the next wave is really going to be on different you know, different uh, payment types, right? We all know faster payments are coming. We all know that pay by bank is coming and all these different things that are out there. And so how is a, how is a payment provider going to really take those and make it a value-added option, right? Because being able to do real-time payments or real-time settlement, it's obvious what the value of that is, right? But how do you really make that a positive experience for the merchant or their end customer. The same thing with pay by bank, right? I mean, pay by bank, the concept is great, but there's gotta be value in that transaction to the end customer, or why would they adopt a pay by bank, right? So I think that's where you're gonna see a lot of innovation around those new payment types coming along. And I think as well, like I said, all that getting wrapped up in, you know, the whole, you know, craze around AI, which is gonna be really interesting to just to see how, you know, use cases continue to evolve.
0: So let's um let's dig into the details here and what's involved in integrating mast into a into the software provider what like how long does it take you know what's the process like
1: Yeah absolutely so first of all we have multiple options depending on what the ISV is trying to accomplish we have a full API forward stack if you will where and those APIs are available on mast.com if anybody wants to go and them where a um, an ISV can fully integrate the experience into their platform and their user experience using APIs, right? And that's probably the most advanced form of integration, and that probably takes the longest because it takes you know work on their side from the dev shop standpoint. But we can go full the other end where people want to just be able to leverage our user experience, which we right. have a full use, we have a full banking and payments user experience to where we can brand it, we can make it look just like their their use their color scheme, their brand, et cetera. But they're actually just actually transitioning from their platform to our platform in a single sign-on, which is also really important on this, is that we've we wanted to make sure any partner that we're working with that that a single sign-on is available so that at least to the, the merchant, that user experience is very seamless and they're not coming in and out of platforms and signing in and signing out and all of that. And kind of everything in between. We've have some, for example, that have done a very tight integration with APIs from the payment acceptance and settlement standpoint, but then they've chosen to use our merchant portal, you know, the, our UX for the backend. You know, when they, when they want to go research a payment or look at an authorization or process a chargeback or whatever, they're they're fine to use our our portal. But for the actual acceptance part, you know, they've very tightly integrated.
0: Interesting. So I imagine that the time period. Would vary greatly depending on the complexity of what you're trying to do. But can you give us some sense of oh, like how long some of these different types of integrations like?
1: Yeah, we're looking at about three months. You okay. know, to really once they initiate a project and once we start working together, being able to get that done, that three months is 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 an important time as well because it's not a which we, we tend to like to think about overlapping activities during that three month three month period, because one of the things that we focused on from the get-go is probably because of all many of the people that are on the team, including myself, have been involved in partner-led sales, been involved in technology-led sales. And as I always like to say, the easiest part of going to market via a partner is signing the agreement. (laughs) (laughs) The hardest part is actually making it a productive relationship. And so what we've done is we've built out what we call a performance marketing offering. And so from the very beginning, so during that three months, of integration, we're working with the partner to activate the partner. We're working with the partner to come up with a go-to-market, you know, strategy. We're working with the partner in terms of how we're going to make offers and have a a, a compelling call to action and all of that. And then inside of all that, if the partner would rather, we can actually run all of that for them. We've built a MarTech stack Hmm. that enables us to um, run that entire customer acquisition process for them if they so choose. And we're getting a lot of interest in that because if you think about it, right, I'm a software provider. I've built uh, a very elegant piece of software to serve whatever industry I'm working in, right? And now you tell me I got to go figure out how to sell banking? <laughs> right. I don't know. Not, not the not core sure. competency. <laughs> yeah, it's not really in my wheelhouse, but we it is in our wheelhouse, right? And mm-hmm. so that's where you know we, we're seeing a lot of interest in especially in the beginning. I think sometimes they'll say, well, you know, we'll let you run it in the beginning, but eventually I'll bring it in-house.
0: Yeah, interesting. Which actually leads into my next question here because we're in a competitive uh, environment here. You're not the only offering for embedded finance. There's quite a few players these days. And I can see you've probably started to answer this question, but I want to ask it directly. You know, how is MAST standing out from the other embedded finance providers?
1: In a number of ways, frankly. First of all, one of the things, and this was by design from the very beginning, we're bringing what I like to call whole product, right? We're not bringing, you know, a series of APIs to link you back to your core banking system or somebody's core banking system. We're not bringing an SDK or all these other kinds of things. We're bringing literally the whole product, complete the integration, and then we have a full, you have access to a fully functioning bank, a fully compliant bank, a fully uh, well risk managed bank because we are part of the bank. So we've taken all of the regulatory, 135 years of regulatory experience at Synovus, and we've embedded that into MAST, which is very different than a lot of fintechs out there that are offering embedded finance because what they're really doing is they've created an interesting front end. They've created a solution for integration, but then you turn around and there's still a bank on, on the back end. There's still a financial institution that may or may not have the same risk tolerance if you will as that fintech and so there's a constant there's there's inherent friction if you will that. Right. just like just like you know there is in payments right there's always friction between the iso and the sponsor bank because of maybe conflicting credit policy and conflicting risk tolerances or anything else we've kind of taken all that off the table because it is the bank that is bringing the whole product and so a ISV or a SaaS partner who wants to start offering this, you know, we obviously put the agreement in place, the integration gets done, and then we really take it from there. We're running all of the banking services, all of the payment services for them in the background, you know, on their behalf so that they can focus back on what they do, which is build elegant software. I want to
0: talk about compliance. You you mentioned it there. And yeah. it's been in the news a lot this
1: year with
0: um, different fintech partnerships and different banks that are, have gotten consent notices and what have you, that it's top of mind now.
1: I sure, think for absolutely.
0: fintechs for a long time, it wasn't. So when you're thinking about compliance, this is obviously all inside Synovus, but some of the things you're doing, Synovus has never done before. So how did you approach sort of the compliance part of all of this?
1: First of all, from the beginning, <laughs> um, we we built out you know our risk regulatory compliance team in the very beginning and started working with Synovus to make sure that we were building adapting enhancing you know the requirements you know of being part of a, uh, a chartered bank so if you think about this policy procedure compliance regulatory frameworks the overall control framework we've basically taken what is proven and what we knew we know works because it was at Synovus and they kind of put it into a digital form is the best way to think about it, right? So many some things that may have been partially digital and partially manual, you know, at Synovus, we've kind of fully digitized these. So for example, in the underwriting process, right? I mean, one of the things that we've been able to automate and digitize is the account opening for small businesses with multiple owners. Which is if, if anybody's listening to this who is a small business owner and has tried to open a bank account, you know, the Trip to the branch with your passport and potentially in all your articles of incorporation and your business partner and you know that that very analog <laughs> experience, right? We we've made all that all digital, so there is no going to a branch, there is no sitting down with a, a banker or whatever. We can do all that digitally. So that's what we, we we took the requirements to open a small business multi-owner checking account from to do that in a compliant way, and we just made it digital. Interesting. Interesting. Yes. Well, I, I have done
0: that as a small business owner, had to cut myself down to our bank branch and go through all that sort of thing. It's it's painful. Anyway, you know, we're, we're recording this in December. This is going to be actually, this is out in the first week of January. It's actually our first podcast of the year. So I want to, the next few minutes, I just want to do a look forward. So firstly, okay. when you're looking at 2024, what are the, the major trends in embedded finance that you think are gonna be in play this year?
1: More and more adoption. I think you're gonna see more and more players that are either trying to do what we're doing, which is kind of the whole solution, or bits and pieces of it. And I think you'll probably see more on the, you know, the niche point solutions, right? Here's a very specific lending product, right? Here's a very specific deposit product or something like that, where they, you know, they're kind of taking that, that more, you know, single product solution. I think that you're going to see more and more of the incumbents, the larger processors, starting to really look hard at this, starting to get really focused. And you've seen it. You know, there's been some acquisitions by, you know, some of the big three, you know, that point to where they're heading in the space, where they realize that there is value in extending, you know, if you think about payments as financial services, just extending the financial services offering, you know, and being making that available to the ISV community. So, so I think that is clearly going to continue, and I think that you're going to see more and more um, ISVs continue to evolve in the PayFAC space. You know, I think that there was a big rush towards you know becoming a PayFAC x years ago, and then kind of the retreat of that, wow that's really hard, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and then now I think you're going to see more thoughtful people going into that space. So you'll you think you'll continue to see you know more and more mature software providers becoming true pay facts, which i think is going to be interesting especially as you know sponsor banks and card brands and others you know try to manage and, and you know regulate all of that and i think that uh the last piece would be is that you know as real-time or faster funding comes online which it is you know how does a how does a payments company how does an embedded finance company turn that into value right and it comes to you know obviously the value is speed right in terms of how you know how does a processor you know create much faster funding you know real-time funding maybe it's uh you know, you know today if you think about how the way settlement works and it's a very batch driven process right you know is there an evolution to more of a you know more continuous funding model that can happen in you know, that type of model problem is though when you do that you know, there's inherent risk which is why I think some of the AI and machine learning things you're going to have to come along in parallel so that you can manage the risk of faster funding, because today, batches are held, batches things are settled two days because that gives the processor, you know, the time to make sure they're managing the risk. Well, expectations, you know, the, the, the time windows are going to continue to compress. So I think you're going on the back end, you're going to have to see more and more sophisticated uh, tools being put, put in place to allow processors to fund faster and meet customer needs, but do it in a very, you know, hopefully controlled manner.
0: Interesting. Okay, so then last question: As you look further down the road, I'm curious, particularly in like the small business space, where, as you say, all these businesses are in a vertical; they have some sort of um, ISV they work with. Do you think that there's going to be a, a majority or a large number, say by the end of the decade, someone who might have had a banking relationship with their local community bank or one of the one of the major you know, national or regional banks, that they're going to now have a their banking relationship, their primary financial relationship, is going to be with their software vendor? And how do you see that playing out long term?
1: Obviously, I'm biased. Yeah, (laughs) I realize And and the answer is yes. (laughs) (laughs) But I think you have to kind of parse it. You know, it's it's not a one-size-fits-all, right? I think there are millions of small businesses that have relatively straightforward financial services needs. They need a place to bring money in they need a place for money to go out in terms of paying employees and vendors, and they need a place to keep the money, right? And beyond that, you know, they don't have very complex needs. Now, there are obviously going to be lots of businesses that are either larger and they have more complex treasury needs and they have more complex, cap- more higher capital requirements and other types of things. And that is, you know, there's always going to be a role, you know, for financial institutions to partner with businesses to help them with you know their treasury needs, their capital needs, et cetera. But if you think about, of all you know, the numbers of total, the number of total businesses in, in the United States, the vast majority of them are small businesses. And we believe that that's where our, we know that's where our sweet spot is. And that's where you're going to see more and more adoption of people saying, look, there's a ton of value in me getting my financial services directly through the software platform that I'm using to run my business on a daily basis. And that's you know what we believe we're going to continue to see the adoption. Okay. Well,
0: I think it's a safe bet that it's going to be a growing, a growing segment of financial services. I think that's for sure. Anyway, thank you so much uh, for joining us here on the podcast
1: today, Tom. It was a real pleasure. Thank you, Peter.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you so much for listening. Please go ahead and give the show a review on the podcast platform of your choice and go tell your friends and colleagues about it. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye.